glad that you're all here today on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I'm just going to let you know that this morning we're going to deviate uh, from our study uh, through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I believe it's June the 13th. Uh, that, that Sunday we're going to dive back into 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to be in the second part of chapter 4 where Paul, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes uh, concerning the rapture. We're going to be looking at that. If you're wondering, if you want to mark that down, uh, this uh, week we're deviating, and next week a little bit, you'll see in our schedule why. But uh, uh, that's our timing. If you want to make sure, if you're wondering about when we're going to look at that and study that uh, important, you know, it's kind of an important topic concerning the church, uh, rapture of his church. Well, Pastor Jay, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. You're right. It says to be caught up, and that is a Greek word that comes from the word rapture, so I get it. You get it. We're going to be caught up with Christ. We're going, to, we're going to dive in deep to that on June the 13th. So just to let you know, that's what we're scheduled to do in case you are wondering. And if you weren't wondering, now you know anyway. So there you have it. This morning, we're going to be reading, if you have your app or your Bible, whatever you use, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in just a, a few minutes. As we begin our time on this memorial weekend, I would, I would like to remind everyone, just take a few moments here, actually the whole message really, but to remind everyone at this point of what Memorial Day is all about, what it, what it stands for. It is a day that is recognized by our nation as a day of remembrance, okay, to remember those who gave their life while serving in the armed forces. Okay, Memorial Day weekend. I know it's a big weekend to, to go camping. It's a big weekend to have family barbecues. It's a big weekend to do a lot of different things. And I personally think that's okay, that fellowship, the things we get to do to reignite with friends and family. That, that is wonderful. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to remember why most of us, why most of us have tomorrow us off and it is designated Memorial Day. It is to remember those who gave everything. They gave their life for their country while serving in the armed forces. It's a big deal, church. And that's what Memorial Day, that's why it's set apart in our nation. Okay, we need to remember that. It's very, very important that we remember that. So in honor of those who gave their life, I would like you to please watch this, this video. I just want to thank Bill and Oscar for their service. Thank you for, for doing that this morning. Before I dismiss the, the youth group, let's pray. Father, we uh, pause right now, Lord, to to remember those that gave their life serving for this country, God. We ask that you be with those precious families as they mourn their loss, as they really ponder more than any other time of the year, perhaps, on Memorial Day, as they visit tombstones, cemeteries, God, that your Holy Spirit would be with them and comfort and guide them. God, bring them 
a peace in only a way that, that you can. God, we just, I just pray that each one of us would just spend a few minutes tomorrow at, at a minimum and remember that freedom isn't free and somebody paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And Lord, I just thank you for this time and pray as we turn to your living, breathing word this morning that we would apply it to our lives, that you would touch everyone in this place. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And, and also, Lord, I, I pray for your blessing upon those that are currently serving as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're in the youth group, uh, 6th through 12th grade, you're now dismissed. I pray that uh, you are blessed, uh, young men and women, that you were blessed to understand. Go ahead. You can leave the, the youth group that you uh, were blessed and know, understand what was given for your freedoms in this great country. As we uh, begin this morning, again, I would like to invite each of you to a local park called Freeman Park. Please picture yourself, if you would, standing at Freeman Park in front of this memorial that is behind me on the screen, the Idaho State Vietnam War Memorial. Only place in the state where the Vietnam Memorial is, is here, right here in our great city of Idaho Falls. We have the honor of hosting or having this memorial right here in our city. How many of you have been to that memorial? It's a great tribute. All the names listed there of those that gave their life to serve in the Vietnam War. But let me ask you a most, pretty much a, a, an obvious question, but one that I think needs to be asked this morning as we reflect on Memorial Day. Why is this memorial, why is this memorial here in our city of Idaho Falls at Freeman Park? Did they just have space? They wanted to build something? No, they did it. Of course, it is there to remind us, to remind us, to help us remember the lives of the 251 Idahoans who gave their life during the Vietnam War. It's there to remind us that a price has been paid. In Washington, D.C., in Arlington, we have the Arlington National Cemetery which, uh, Cemetery, which you saw on the video. You will find, if you've ever been there, you saw the pictures, but you will find many graves, headstones, and tombs, but several stand out above all the rest. They are the tombs of the unknown soldiers. Let me ask you once again, why are those tombs there? Why are they there? They are there to honor those. Please hear me, they are there to honor those who, who have given their lives in the, defense, in the defense of this country. But they are also there as reminders to each of us. They remind us of the value of the freedoms we enjoy in this country and the high price paid for those freedoms. Your freedom was not done, was not given to you free. Freedom costs something. And Memorial Day is a day that we remember those that gave everything they have for our freedoms. That's what Memorial Day is. That's why they set it up. That's the day that we remember. 
I'm going to change gears a little bit. How many of you are, are wearing wedding rings, wedding rings this morning? How many of you are wearing those? Why do we wear those wedding rings? I know most of the guys are going to say, because my wife makes me wear it. <laughs> I say that jokingly. But you see, wedding rings are, are a sign to others that, of course, we are married. But they are also reminders to us, okay? They're reminders to us of the commitments we have made. They are memorial reminders. They remind me, my wedding band reminds me of a commitment I made to my wife, Cindy, some 28 years ago. By the way, Jeff and Leanne, who are sitting back in the sound booth today, are celebrating 40 years today. 40 years. And most of the guys, if Jeff was up here, he would say 40 long years. Right, Jeff? No, that probably, that would probably, honestly, that would probably be Leanne. Great couple. I say that jokingly. 40 years. But see, it's, it's a reminder. That's what it is. It's kind of a memorial that we have. It's a reminder of the commitments we've made. Now, just, just as we have set up many things in our lives, to serve as reminders, God has also established a number of memorials over the years to help us remember as well. We can read all through the Bible. There are memorials. Back in, in Genesis chapter 9, way back in the beginning, way back in Genesis chapter 9, not quite the beginning in chapter 1, but eight verses later in chapter 9 in Genesis, we find one of the earliest memorials ever established but in the word of God. You, were, you uh, may remember back in the early part of Genesis, God caused a flood to cover the earth and kill every living thing on earth except for Noah and his family and two of every animal that had been on the ark. You know the story. After the flood was over, God said, God said, this is a sign of the covenant. A covenant is a promise of a promise I am making between me and every living thing that I will not destroy the earth again with a flood. So he placed a rainbow in the clouds. Now, a rainbow is God's idea. A rainbow is God's creation. A rainbow is a promise to us. A rainbow is God's promise saying that he will not kill, he will not flood the whole earth again like he did that. Even though the world has taken a rainbow and perverted it in many ways, it is something that we should see and stand in awe of and remember God's promise. God created rainbows as memorials to remind us of the promise, the covenant he made with us. So whenever you see that rainbow, you should say, thank you, God, that you will not flood the earth like you did before. It's your promise. You may remember the memorial God set up for the Israelites in the book of Exodus. If you remember, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for for um, 400 years, God sent nine plagues on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Again and again, Pharaoh refused. He hardened his heart. He refused. He would say yes, and the last minute he would say no. He would not let them go. And finally, finally God said, I will send a tenth. That's tenth plague. I will send an angel of death to kill the firstborn of every family and animal in Egypt. But, love it when you, when you see that but in the Bible with God, right? But, 
If you place the blood of a lamb on your doorpost or over your door, the angel, he will pass over your home. From this day forward, I want you to observe the Passover as a reminder of the time I delivered you out of Egypt and passed over you. It was a memorial. It was a reminder. And the Jewish people still celebrate Passover to this day as a memorial, as a reminder of how God passed them over in Egypt and delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh. They still celebrate that. In Numbers, God set up another memorial. In chapter 15, he told the Israelites to place tassels with blue thread on four corners of all their garments as a memorial, a sign to remind them to obey all of God's commands, part of their clothing. I could go on and on and talk about different things, different memorials, different reminders that God put in his word of God to remind us in remembrance of things. Memorials are important and God uses them throughout the Bible. But there is no memorial more important, please hear me, there is no memorial more important, no memorial more significant to believers than the one Jesus established. And that's where we find ourselves today. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. The Apostle Paul is writing these words in this book. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's reminding us of the words of Jesus. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a memorial of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. The new covenant, right? Covenant means promise. The new promise in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, as a memorial of what I'm going to do, in remembrance of me. Now, this being Memorial Day weekend, a time to remember those who served in our armed forces and gave their life in that service, I thought it would be a great time for us to remember Jesus as well. To remember Jesus as well. I know that that may sound kind of simple. I mean, how can you not remember Jesus? Right? How can you not remember Jesus? Now, I think it's important for us to, to stop at times, to take a deep breath and reflect, to remember who Jesus is. Because it's easy to just say, yeah, I'm a born-again disciple of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And it just kind of becomes second nature, which is good. But we need to be reminded. We need that remembrance. We need that memorial. We, we need to remember all that Jesus has given as well. That's what we're going to do today. We need to remember Jesus, especially considering the way of our current world. I think it's a perfect, perfect time to remember Jesus. Understand, I still believe in all my heart, with all my heart, with no debate with where I stand, that Jesus is the answer for Every, every issue that is before us today, every issue in our personal lives, and every issue that our nation faces. I believe that. 
How can I say that? I believe that if every person came to the saving grace and knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted and obeyed what he taught, he would provide every answer to the world that we need. It's all about Jesus. It's been all about Jesus since the beginning of the creation of the world, and it's all about Jesus in our time. It's all about Jesus. We need to remember Jesus. So before we come to the table of communion this morning, I would like to take a few minutes to recognize and to remember. All right, are you with me? So we're going to look at four different things. The first off we're going to look at, uh, we need to have to recognize, we need to remember who Jesus is. Well, Pastor Jay, I know who Jesus is. Good, I'm glad you know who Jesus is. But there are some people out in our world that are teaching a different Jesus. They say Jesus, but if you dig deeper, they're not talking about the same Jesus that we're talking about found in the living, breathing word of God. They've distorted him. He's a different person than is found in the Bible. Okay, so we have to establish, remember who Jesus is. Okay, are you with me? So Jesus, he was born of a virgin. I, I could preach a whole sermon on that. A lot of people that I've talked to throughout the years, they, they are so hung up on that first point that you don't, they won't even want to even talk about prophecy and how it was prophesied uh, many, many years before the fact that he would be born a virgin and how he was, that it was prophesied, foretold, and it happened. They can't even get past that because the first thing they can't get past is that it's physically impossible for anybody to be born a virgin. It's not possible. But see, they have a small mind and a small box for who God is. They don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth. They don't believe that, that there's a God that, oh, that split the Red Sea and the Israelites dry, uh, crossed over on dry ground. They don't believe there's a God that stopped, the I believe, the whole uh, spinning of the universe to make a day longer, right, for Joshua to win a battle. Just think of that one miracle in the Bible. That is, will just blow your mind if you think about it, if you look at science and how that one day would have been extended, how most, they believe, most people believe to make that actually happen, all of the universe would have to stop. How big is your God, people? Okay, so think about that. So this same God that can do all those, also it says in the book of Psalms that the Lord, our God, the God that we worship, is a God that is a star breather. He breathes stars out. Do you realize how big a star is? That's who our God is. So if our God, if you believe in God, if our God can do that, he can certainly, he can certainly cause Jesus to be born of a virgin. He's got it. It comes by faith. This is how it starts with Jesus. I mean, you can go deeper. Genesis chapter 2, it mentions Jesus. Yes, he was there in the beginning. But his earthly, his earthly time, this is where it begins. This is where we have to have faith to begin with, right here in this part. He was born of a virgin. He was a son of Mary. His favorite, his favorite name for himself was son of man. And here's something that may offend some of you, but Mary was a sinner, Mary needs to be held in a high place because she was called of God to do something extraordinary. But Mary, 
is a person. Mary is not an angel. You don't pray to Mary to answer your prayers. You pray for the only one the Bible says intercedes for you, and it's Jesus. Okay? We have to know that. He was human. He was human, and he was with us. He was born in Bethlehem, Israel, about 2,000 years ago. And at the age of 30, he began his ministry, which lasted about three and a half years. He gathered 12 disciples, 12 disciples who followed him throughout Israel as he went around teaching and performing miracles. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Also, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. So he's fully man, and he's fully, fully God. If you compare what God said to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, he said, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said, I am. You can't argue with that, can you, church? God says, I am. I am what? I am everything. I am. Moses asked, who, who do I say sent me when they ask? Tell them, I am sent me, sent you. I am. Jesus said this in John 8, 58, comparing himself to be God. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am which drove the religious leaders of the day crazy because they knew what was said in Exodus to Moses. And he, they understand, they understood that Jesus is claiming to be God. And he is God. He's God in the flesh and he's God in the spirit. He's, he's all God and all man. You quickly see that Jesus was claiming to be God. Jesus is God in the flesh. In his flesh, we read that he was tempted Anybody in here ever been tempted? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. You were just tempted right there not to raise your hand. I don't want him to know that I've been tempted and maybe sin, so. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm, I'm just poking fun at you. Just get over it. I know you're not a liar. You're timid. But you see, Jesus was tempted. He's God in the flesh. He was, he was tempted in the same ways we are tempted. We, we are tempted, right? But the difference between, not all the times that you and I are tempted do we give in to temptation. Praise the Lord. But sometimes, because the flesh and the spirit are in constant battle with each other, we're tempted, and sometimes we give in to the flesh, right? And then we have to repent. We have to ask God to forgive us, right? We open that door, and things happen. Here's the difference between uh, God in the, all God in the flesh and, and God being God, the two in one. The difference is, is when Jesus was tempted, he didn't fall into temptation. He did not sin. The Bible says he knew no sin. None. No sin in his mind. No sin. Just let that rattle around a little bit in your head. That's who Jesus is. You see, he was, he was tempted in the same way you and I are. We, we can't look up to heaven and say, God, you, you don't understand what I'm going through. You're, you're God. No, he does understand. He was tempted with health. He was, he was 
starving for 40 days before he was tempted. He was having a few health. I just love that, that whole passage that talks about Jesus in the wilderness. It said it fasted for 40 days, and then there's this one sentence. It says, he was hungry. You think? So he was struggling with his health. He's hungry, right? God wants to show us that he can be tempted in the same way. He was tempted in the same way. He was, he was struggled with his health, you know, with his wealth. He, was a com- he wasn't rich and famous. He, he struggled with fame. And then uh, he, was, he was also alone in the wilderness. You see, we have to, we have to understand we have to remember, we can't forget that Jesus came from heaven into our world of pain, suffering, and sin. Okay, so Jesus has always been with God from the beginning. We're not going to dive into that today. We don't have time. But Jesus is in heaven. He's in paradise, right, where everything is perfect. God is perfect. Everything is holy. And he decided to do what the Father asked him to do, the three in one. Again, that's a whole other message. But he says, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to leave paradise. I'm going to leave this place. There's, there's, there's no sin. There's no pain. There's no suffering. I'm God. Everything's perfect. I'm going to leave this place. And by the way, I'm going to leave here now, and I'm going to go be born as an infant, a helpless infant child to, to a young lady. I'm going to be born a virgin. Oh, no, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to be born in the first-class ER center that I can, and everything's going to be perfect. No, he's born in a manger. A filthy manger where animals live. So he's born in that place as an infant. So he leaves paradise and he begins that way, right? With one purpose in mind. And we're going to start moving along here. One purpose in mind. He came into our world to redeem it. He came into our world to redeem Pastor Jay. He came into our world to redeem Don. He came into our world to redeem Mark, to redeem Rebecca. I can go around the room. He came in our world to redeem each and every one of us. And that is exactly what we have to recognize next. Remember what Jesus did. So he's in heaven, he's in paradise, everything's glorious, and he just gets a little bored, and he says, you know what, I'm going to go down to, to earth for a while. No purpose, no meaning, no reason. I'm just going to go hang out with my peeps. Which he did, I guess. But he came with a purpose. You see, he leaves heaven, he leaves paradise, no pain, no suffering, born in a manger as a peasant, grew up as a working man, a blue-collar man, a carpenter in Nazareth. He does all this knowing that he was heading to the cross. He knew. He knew. You have to understand, he came to show us the Father. He came to show us that God does care about us. That he's not living in a distant uh, place, a distant galaxy. He created all this, and then God just turned his back and said, okay, I'm going to leave this place now. I'm going to go to this other galaxy. And I just hope, I hope the best for these humans here on earth. They can figure it out. Here's the Bible, right? He just left. That's not what God does. That's not who God is. 
He came in our world. He came into our world. He gave us the, the Bible. He gave us the prophets. He's given us all kinds of things so we can understand him. And then he comes in the flesh. He comes in the flesh to show each of us that he is approachable. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that's approachable? That isn't in a distant galaxy? That isn't just sitting on a throne looking down, throwing little lightning bolts at us when you mess up or, or doing all this and that, right? No, he's approachable. He's approachable. And that he relates to us. Aren't you thankful he relates to us? And when we take communion, we remember that he died for our sins so we can go straight into the presence of God. And that leads us into my next point this morning. Remember where Jesus is. Amen? Remember where Jesus is. Jesus is not uh, an old-time prophet. He's not an old-time monk somewhere, right? He's not living in a cave somewhere, you know, just uh, drinking the holy water, extending his life forever until God says, come out of the cave and go back, right? Is that where Jesus is? No. That's not where Jesus is. Mark 16, 19 says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, his disciples, he was, this is after the resurrection, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. He was taken up into, so he went back into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God where he is right now. Now Stephen, the first recorded martyr in the Bible, the first recorded martyr in the Bible for Jesus, uh, while being stoned by the crowd, and I said that during the first service, I think it's important that I stay in this service, that when the Bible talks about somebody being stoned, it doesn't mean they're smoking pot. It means they're being stoned to death by rocks. You laugh, but some people are in that place. Okay? So the first recorded martyr for Jesus, while being rocked to death with rocks, by the crowd, he saw this in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 and 56. He said, when they heard this, when the Pharisees heard him praising God, heard his proclamation of who Jesus is, is they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They were mad. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said this, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that even made them more furious and they, they, they rocked him to death. God allowed Stephen to see that picture before he passed from this life into the next life. And God has allowed that to be put in the word of God so we understand where Jesus is. Where he is Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in glory. The Apostle Paul also writes this in Romans 8, 34. Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Why is Jesus interceding for us when we pray? Why is Jesus interceding uh, as our mediator between God the Father, Jesus, and us? Why? I know they're three in one. Again, that's a whole other topic. But Jesus is interceding for us. Why? Because Jesus was one of us. He's God in the flesh. He was tempted. He knows what it means to go through the same things we do. So when we pray to Jesus, he intercedes for us. Not some person that used to live that's declared a saint that you pray to for this or that. That's not even biblical church. There's only one person, deity, that intercedes for us, and it's Jesus. That's it. It's Jesus intercedes for us. He's the only one that rose from the grave. He's the only one that lived a perfect, sinless life. So he's the only one that can go and intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. Aren't you thankful that we have Jesus? Amen? Amen. Jesus even told his disciples that he would soon be leaving. He was leaving so he could prepare a place for all that believed. He is interceding for each of us before the Father. We serve a big, big God. So he is preparing a place for us. That's why God sent him down here in training for 30-some years as a carpenter so he could go back to heaven to build a place for us. I mentioned this in the first service. I wonder if the price of lumber is really high in heaven right now. How much for a two-by-four the other day, you said? thirteen fifty for an eight-foot two-by-four pressure-treated. I'm willing, I don't bet, but I'm willing to bet, God, that Jesus is not using lumber to build your home in heaven. The streets are made out of gold, so I doubt he's using wood to build your place. Precious stones, all the things the Bible talks about in Revelation. And I also mentioned this, when you get to heaven, uh, I don't know if I even want a home address. I don't know how... Heaven works in terms of do I need to have a home because can you imagine just being in the presence of Jesus around a throne or, or just have the universe spread out and you're in your glorified body and you're not limited anymore? You live in eternity so you don't even live in the confounds of time anymore? Can you imagine being able to go ex- and explore the new heavens and the new earth that are gonna be created? I don't think I'm gonna need a house. Probably will, because I don't understand how it all works. God is awesome, you guys. We cannot afford to put God in a box. We serve a big, big God. So not only did he leave paradise for us, not only did he die for us, he also is preparing a place for us as well, and he's interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. The big question here here for each of us is do we truly remember these things? Do we truly believe in Jesus? Have we believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings? You see, I believe if we do, we will have uh, perhaps the greatest hope of all, and that is this last point this morning. Remember, Jesus will return. Yes, he's coming again to a theater near you. (laughs) 
The theater is all of earth. It's all of creation. And he's coming. He's coming. And again, in, in June 13th, when we look at the second part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we're going to dive into what Paul wrote about the rapture, the, the bride of Christ being taken. When we dive into that, Right, what what that looks like? Uh, we're gonna. That's gonna be part of his return. You know, his, his, the returns when he puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives. But what the rapture? All the all this comes into play. We're gonna study that and how I've come to interpret it. Now, how I've come to interpret it and how others have come to interpret it. You may agree. You may disagree. That's okay. Just remember, I'm right. I'm kidding. I'm far from always right. But here's the deal. I, I tried to communicate this in the first service. When we look at those things, if you agree or disagree, the bottom line is, is each one of us, as born-again disciples of Jesus, just to remember, have to remember the one thing, the one thing in, in the debate, in the disagreeing or agreeing, done, uh, done in kindness and love as we talk and do those things, the one thing that you have to remember in all those things that may come into mind when we talk about it, one thing that each, each of us have to remember the most important thing to all of it is this. Be ready. That's it. Be ready. Because whatever your perceived idea of when or when it won't happen, you need to be ready at any time for his return. Because only one deity knows when that return is, and that is God the Father. By the way, there's predictions it's supposed to happen uh, June 2nd, a couple days from now. A lot of predictions right now. A lot of people talking about the rapture because of current events that are happening that the Bible has talked about and how it's all coming into view view as we look at what the Bible said and how it's taking place in our time and place. Technology has caught up with Bible prophecy, hasn't it? And we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. You see, Jesus promised... How many of you know that Jesus keeps his promises? He knows no sin, so he's not a liar. Jesus promised his disciples, are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? That's the big question. He promised his disciples that he would come again. John 14, uh, verses 1 and 3 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Praise the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He goes to build a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we are the bride of Christ. He is saying he's coming back for his bride. We're going to dive into the significance of what the bride of Christ means and, and how, how the bride in the Old Testament times under the Jewish people, once the engagement was made, you may not know this, once the engagement was made, they weren't married, the, the, uh, the husband would go back to his parents' property, get his inheritance, and build the place 
for his bride. That's why there's a parable of the brides, uh, the bridesmaids waiting for the groom to come back because then they didn't know when he would actually come back and get his bride because the place was, you see how the Bible works? Because his place was actually built. That's what the Jewish customs taught. That's what they would do. So the engagement would be made and then the bride would be told, now you just got to wait until this guy finished building your house. Now, if he's like me, it's going to take a long time. But once the place was ready, he would go and get his bride and there'd be a big celebration. Kind of sounds like what's going to happen in the Bible. Jesus is preparing a place. We are the bride. We don't know when he's to come back. In Jewish times, the bride was told to always be ready for the groom because you don't know when he's going to come. Jesus will return at a time that only the Father knows, and he will return in the same way that he was taken up when he ascended at the Mount of Olives before the disciples. Going to return in the clouds. Be ready. Could you imagine if it happened right now? I have the worship team come up, that'd be great. You guys have probably heard enough. I'm going to close with this. It's not really so much a story. It's kind of a reminder. I I read this story this week, and I I didn't know this. We're going to be taking communion in just a few minutes. If you did not receive a cup, um, if you would raise your hand. Um, Did you, everybody receive a cup? Hey, Richard. Can you grab our pearl? Can you grab that? Anybody raise your hand. We'll make sure you get this cup. So I'm going to close with this. Down south in our great nation, there are memorials in most towns to the bloodiest war fought on America in our, uh, in our land, homeland of America, on our soil, the Civil War. Over 6,000 men and women died in that conflict in the Civil War right here in our nation. Let that number sink in, you guys. 600,000 people. Over. What is often known is that both the North and the South allowed substitute soldiers. I didn't know this until I read this story this week. Substitute soldiers. A man drafted for military service could literally, he could literally buy another man to go to war in his place. If he had the money and he was drafted, he could find a replacement. He could pay that person to take his place during the Civil War. This lasted until 1863 in the South when there were uh, no more available men for, uh, for people that had money to buy them to go to war for them. And it began about the same time in the North where immigrants were often paid to fight in someone's place. So the term, I did not know this until I read this, the term rich man's war, poor man's fight became popular in the South. A rich man's war, meaning a rich man, even though he was drafted, could buy his way out. He could pay somebody who didn't have any money and wanted money, he could pay them to go fight for him. It was a popular saying, rich man's war, poor man's fight. Imagine paying someone to fight in your place. Most die in your place. Most that you would pay would go and die for you. How humbling that must have been. Yet today, all of us gather for worship 
on this Memorial Day weekend, humbled knowing that not only did soldiers die for our freedom in this as a nation, right? It's what we're celebrating as well, that we had soldiers die for us, for our freedom in this nation, but, but that we have a substitute that died in our place for our eternal freedom. We've had die, people die for us in this physical world for this nation so we can enjoy the freedoms we have here today. That's why people from all over the world want to be here where you are now with the freedoms you have. The freedom to choose, the freedom of speech, the freedom, all the freedoms we have that we take for granted. People died for those freedoms and we cannot forget that. But we also have a substitute that took our sins, that took my sin and nailed them to a cross. The Lord Jesus Christ in his flesh was nailed to a cross where my sin, where I should have been put because I'm a sinner. But we have a substitute that died for us for all of eternity. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He died for me. He died for me. And I believe in all my heart, if I was the only human being living in this world, he would have still come and died for me. But here's the beautiful part about it. He came and he died for you. He came and he died for anybody watching on Facebook. He came and he died for you. He died for us. Perfect, sinless. Fought temptation, was still without sin. He was our true redeemer because of the new covenant, because of his blood, because of his willingness to go to the cross. We are forgiven if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he is Lord of lords. May we never forget and may we always live for him. And church, that is my prayer. That is my hope for each of us this morning that we will remember Jesus, that we will hold on to who he is, what he has done for each of us, where he is right now, interceding for you and I, and always, always, always remember Jesus is returning for his church. He's returning for his bride. He's returning for you and I. Be ready. Be ready. Just a few minutes, we're going to take communion if you want to prepare those communion cups. But most of all, I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts to receive what the Lord has done for you, to remember what the Lord has done for you. We're going to sing, by far, one of my all-time favorite songs. And this song sums up this whole message today. And after we sing, I'm going to come, and we're going to pray, and we're going to take communion together. Prepare your hearts. Let the Lord speak to you. You can come down front, kneel, whatever the Lord would have you to do this morning as you prepare to take communion as the bride of Christ. Pastor David.